Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. You should talk to your spouse about money, and you should also talk to your kids. Foster and Motley's Tony Luckhart and Rachel Rasmussen are with me, Patrice Sikora, to talk about their perspectives on teaching children about dollars and cents and the value of money. Now, Tony and Rachel, you are both in some prime child raising years. Am I correct? Ain't that the truth, Patrice? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little later in those years than uh, Rachel. I've got twin girls that are 18 and my son's 16. So I'll bring that perspective to the the conversation. And Rachel, how old are yours? Yeah, my, my uh, son's going to be five here and my daughter's seven. So we're just starting the whole money conversations in our household as well. So I go to other advisors to get advice and figure out, okay, how do we navigate this? And I'm sure I'm not the only one with kids in this subject. No, I'm I'm sure you're not. Mine mine are gone. There, I've got grandkids now, and we're doing it with the grandkids. But I have to ask you, how many of your children actually deal with money, physical money? We have taken a different approach. We introduce the concept of money in our household. You know, they have a little wallet and a little piggy bank, and they love getting quarters from grandma and their birthday card and they collect them. But we use tokens because they can really get the concept of a token. Wow. And I'm hoping that will translate. I, I actually got that idea from their pediatrician who said, okay, try this token economy. You do this chore, you get this token. And they get a little competitive about that stack of tokens. They want to have more than the other. <laughs> and then you do they turn the tokens into you? They can use it to buy things that they want. So it kind of helps that we go to the store. I want this. I want that. And you say, okay, well, this is how many tokens it costs. Now you can make a decision around that. And so kind of introducing that young and then also trying to start translating tokens into what actually is a dollar. That's the next phase, call it. Yeah. So that's an interesting question. I mean, with you know, virtual currency and credit cards and right. uh, all the different ways to transfer money around these days that don't require the, the tactile part of money. I think it's important, as Rachel, you're doing in some way, shape or form to incorporate some tactile part of that. You know, I back when my kids were little and we'll talk more about this, you know, when they first when they first realized what a gumball machine was at the restaurant when you're walking out, it's like, ah, oh, okay, somehow they're, you know, they want something and we can equate that to money. So, you know, we started doing a, an allowance of like a quarter once a week. And that was kind of their allowance and gave them the, uh, it was their money to spend if they decided to buy a gumball as opposed to our money to spend, even though we were giving it to them. So some tactile part of that, I think is very, very important to trying to get that across to kids. And in fact, my daughter has a part-time job. One of my daughters has a part-time job. And this weekend, speaking of tactile, she got paid in $5 bills at the restaurant and she was looking at the $5 bills and thinking, oh, I think this one just looks weird. I, I think it, I think someone's giving me counterfeit, counterfeit $5 bill. So she took it to the uh, the manager and the manager said, well, honey, these are what $5 bills looked like in the 70s before you were born. So, you know, 
they're still tactile. Uh, there's still money being exchanged hands, just not as much as we're used to. That's funny. They, they love those. I was just thinking about this when Tony was 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 talking about the five dollars. They love the golden dollars collecting those. So the Susan my, B. Anthony's. They're oh the golden oh, dollars. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, the yeah. Sacagaweas or something. Yeah. Right, like right, that. Yeah. right. So, anyways, they have a few of those, and they hoard those. They they put them in their little treasure box, and they think they're awesome. And I'm like, well, don't spend them because they're not that many of them, but. Anyway, yeah, I think that you bring up a good point. It's harder to talk about money when you don't actually hold it and see it. And we're in a land of pay with your, by tapping your phone or pay with your credit card. Oh yeah, just go to the money machine, mom. Yeah, just spits right out. (laughs) (laughs) That little card you have, it does everything. I can get my gumballs, I can get my soda or whatever, or I guess, do you call it pop? I wouldn't go that far, but. No, that's for the northerners. <laughs> We're in the Midwest. It's a well, I'm from the South, so everything's a Coke, a Coca-Cola. Yeah. Pepsi is a Coke. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we, I just took us in a different direction here. We'll come back again. <laughs> we digress. We, we digress. digress. Exactly. That's okay. So with little kids, the concept of money, the token idea I love, the quarter I love, the gumball, it's setting a a good basis for the future though you're starting with good habits yeah just like at everything in life good habits are hard to or easy to uh develop when you're younger whether it's you know eating right or whether it's exercising on a regular basis you know good money habits are much easier to form when you're younger than trying to change them you know when you're older like manners polite manners and trying to encourage good money habits so the one thing that if one thing that I think everyone I would like to take away from this is that money is something that should be talked about. It shouldn't be a taboo topic. There is going to be a lot of different situations in life where you're going to have these experiences or these events where you can use, you can equate that, use those real life events to talk about money and not just talk about successes of money, share with your kids, you know, in an age appropriate way, you're you know, some of the things you didn't do well, some of the mistakes that you made so that they can kind of learn from those mistakes without making some of those mistakes themselves, or at least the hope is that they'll learn from those. But oftentimes mistakes are uh, something that maybe it hits home a little harder than uh, some mm-hmm. of the successes that you share. So I just want people to not make money taboo and topics and conversations about money not being taboo, but you know, share experiences, use those life events that the gumball machine or going to, you know, going to the uh, ball game and, you know, do you buy, you know, cotton candy or drinks or all those things? Talk about the value of money, use those life exp- events to, to have those conversations. I really agree with you on that, Tony, Um, just talking about it early and letting kids make small mistakes before they become really big mistakes. I I think we can all, you know, our feelings around money get ingrained in us at such a young age. And we can think back to when we were kids and did you grow up and you didn't have very much, or you grew up and you had a lot and you got everything you needed and then you needed a pay the bills. And you're like, what is this? Just bringing it out to the forefront and doing it in a healthy way can set your kids up for success for the long haul. So later in life, they're not making, you know, timing the showers or anything like that. I think we've mentioned that in a previous podcast, but those kind of feelings around money and scarcity get ingrained at such a young age that 
trying to talk about it in a healthy way can really be beneficial. I mean, we're not talking about it in schools enough, just something to point out there. I think that's beginning to change, but Ohio historically, for example, has had one of the worst financial literacy rates in the country. And us, you know, the U.S. as a country is is fairly poor in terms of knowledge about money and compound interest and money concepts that we're putting these young adults out into the world with very little training. So it, they're starting to introduce that in schools, but we have a long way to go. So if you can introduce that in the home earlier, you're going to be in a much better position. How about teaching generosity? I love that. I mean, just trying to use money to, well, because you can do different things with money. Right. You can spend it, you can save it, or you can donate it. So Foster and Motley has been participating with a local Cincinnati school to go in and teach financial literacy. They do this through the UC Economics Center and they do a great job, but they allow the kids to spend all of their behavior points in those three ways. They can either, they get so many dollars for doing good attendance or their homework or whatnot. And then they come into this these stores and the stores will allow them to buy an item save the save those credits for the future semester or donate it and teaching wow. the kids to donate it at such a young age i was really shocked and know i've talked to my colleagues about this how many kids actually chose to do that you know maybe they used half of their money but and saved some but then at least 10% was going to the donations and so the classes are deciding what organization they wanted to donate to. So I think that's a fascinating concept fascinating. to introduce. And, and you know me. what, on that topic, I mean, th th those are, those are things that there's like piggy banks that you can buy out there that have those three buckets. And that's a great way as you as a parent to really have those conversations. So we'll talk more about that later here in a bit, but you know, you know newsflash, you know, those same conversations <laughs> need to happen at the home level as well. Right. With teenagers, Tony, even if you've you've laid the groundwork for sharing your money, it, things change when you're a teenager. You seem to want more. What are you seeing? Well, I think it starts with when they're younger, as we talked about. And when the, my kids were younger, I was trying to formulate my thoughts about how to deal with my kids and money. And and I read a book that uh, that really helped. Um, crystallize some of those thoughts. It's the ultimate parenting map to money smart kids by Linda Leitz. And it's it's older. I think it's copyrighted in 2006, 2007, but the, the principles are there. And in essence, it what it says is when they're older, they have a job, right? And they get a paycheck. So when they're younger, help them help create a paycheck for them. Yeah, some different things around the house, some chores, some expectations of what they should be doing and give them a weekly allowance. If they don't do those chores, the allowance comes back. You know, there was oftentimes that my son, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, didn't want to unload the dishwasher. And I say, I would say to him, Aiden, you can either unload the dishwasher or you can go give me a dollar and I'll do it for you. I mean, the two things we have in life are time and money, right? So you can either pay me to do it or you can do it yourself. So, and 99% of the time you don't load the dishwasher and that'd be fine. So allowing them to, you know, giving them money and allowing them to, 
giving them chores, set expectations, jobs, right? <laughs> it's conditioning them to, as we grow up and get a job and get paychecks, it's the same condition. So you can use time or money um, to, to make, to make choices. Your, to make choices. Yes. I love that. And as they get older, that continues. So, you know, giving them an allowance that's appropriate based upon their age and then having them pay for more things. So, you know, one of the first things we would give them an allowance. And one of my memories is we go to the circus and um, they wanted cotton candy. And we said, well, you've got your money. You can buy your own cotton candy if you want. And sometimes they would and sometimes they wouldn't. But it became a, a value decision that they made as opposed to us. And even though they were paying for it with their money, it was, we were giving them the money, so mm -hmm. we were still yeah. paying for it, but they, <laughs> it was their money. So they made better choices. All right. We talked really briefly there, Tony, about the bank that has the three buckets in it. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. And then we'll move on to an older kid. And I love the idea of setting up a 529, but let's start with the, the savings, the piggy bank. Yeah. And just just kind of talking about the different buckets, saving, spending, donating, you know, the, here's where you can introduce different concepts of maybe a matching component that can help you introduce the concept of compound interest, which is something that kids can start understanding probably by about the age of 9, 10, 11, and definitely at high school. Hey, if you put this much in your savings, I'll match you and you'll see your bank account grow by double. And that can help introduce the concept of the compounding nature of money. Especially you can do that when it comes to charitable intent. So going back to that subject, you know, if you want to give so much of your money to this organization or give of your time, I'll make a donation that can come from you or something like that. So they can feel that sense of agency. Again, it comes down to creating the opportunity for them to make choices in a safe and responsible manner so that when it comes time to making the big decisions, i.e., okay, we're going to go to college and how are we going to pay for all this? And maybe that comes into the 529 conversation. That's become a huge expense for families. And so saving early and often for that can be really, really important. But we see quite frequently that there's not quite an understanding when you get to college, how much this actually costs mm -hmm. in addition to the tuition. There's other things that you're going to need, books and laptops and spending money with friends. And then, you know, you give the kid a, a credit card and all of a sudden they've run it up. So how can you begin to introduce those concepts when they're anywhere from 10 to 18 and still in your household before you kind of let them loose? And I'd say younger than that. I mean, I think the three bucket piggy bank is the perfect way. You got you know, a, a bucket for saving, a bucket for spending, and a bucket for giving. And as they get their allowance, as they earn money as they get money from birthdays and Christmas things. I'd often sit down with them and say, okay, we've got grandma and grandpa were generous. Here's how much, you know, you've got to allocate and having those conversations about even taking some of that money and putting it into a 529 plan to talk about college, even at six, seven, eight. I mean, those conversations, it just becomes natural. It just becomes part of the rhythm so that saving for college and those college conversations and those money topics just kind of happen at younger ages. When is the time to start talking about 
loans and interest and credit cards? Oh, man, I'd say probably about maybe mid-teens when you say, Tony, that's yeah. when you can kind of understand. Well, kids can already understand, okay, if you borrow this, you have to pay me back. They can get that at a young age. But get going back to the compound nature of a loan and, okay, it can cut both ways. If you're saving, you can obviously compound your money. But if you're borrowing, the cost of that borrowing can get compounded. And it, it wasn't necessarily as big of a deal when interest rates were low. But that has changed. Interest rates have come back to new normals. And I think introducing the concept of the cost of borrowing and what that would mean long run, how long would it take you to pay back this loan? I mean, that's where you can even lean on your financial advisor and say, hey, can you create a scenario so my kid can really understand what this is going to cost them? And I think it becomes as easy as having conversations around paying off your credit card bill every month. You know, have have them be part of that. Maybe they you they help you you help them log in, or we they help you log in and watch you do it and pay the credit card bill off. And know that's just part of what you do every month. If you're going to borrow it for a temporary period of time, you got to make sure you pay it off within a reasonable period of time. So those conversations, I think, are you know even at younger ages. But then, you know, setting up a, a savings account at some point. So the piggy bank works for a while, but you know maybe seven eight you know, 10, you start setting up some savings accounts and the excess money goes in there. I got kind of creative because my kids grew up in a very low interest rate environment. So I would transfer, I would pay them interest by transferring money from my account to their account. They were none the wiser that the money was going in, but we'd get the statement every month and we'd say, Hey, look at how much money your money grew just by leaving it in the bank and letting it work for you. Now that interest rates are a little higher, it's a, not as necessary, but you know, I created that environment to allow, allow them to see their money growing. That's a great thing because if you do not see it grow, you really do get disappointed, especially as a kid. Yeah. You want to see some kind of improvement there, some kind of movement. What about stocks? When is the time to get them interested in stocks, do you think? I think that's a little bit personality dependent. You know, when we talk about this with clients, you have kids and grandkids getting interested at different stages, depending on whether they have a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. If they're setting up lemonade stands early or doing <laughs> cutting lawns, maybe with those kind of individuals, you can introduce the concept of stocks at a pretty young age. You can set up a custodial account through you know, a brokerage account that you own and it's for the benefit of the miner and they can buy stocks. You know, yeah. I think it's great. You go to the store and you say, Hey, do you know that Procter and Gamble makes Tide and you can buy that stock. And so just taking that conversation to your everyday lives can make it more tangible. When you see some statement on paper, it doesn't feel real until you hold something in your hand. And we have kids who say, okay, I'd like to buy some Disney stock. And so we go ahead and do that in their account and they can kind of see how that grows over time. So you can teach the concept of stocks pretty early. And I know that they do this in school as well through stock picking contests and so forth. Um, you just kind of have to be careful around the sense that you're just gambling with this free money oh, and yeah. teaching the concept of investing versus speculating. And sometimes the markets aren't good, but if you're patient 
which is something that we all have to learn as we get older, being more and more patient, then it is very well rewarded. What Don't you think, Tony? I do. And I think a, you know, a good first step is if you've got a brokerage account, you're as a parent, you know, you could talk to them about PNG or Apple or Disney and buy a share and or two of each of those companies when they're younger and, you know, allow them to kind of, we used to, we have annual meetings around the holidays and we did that. We bought a couple of shares of stuff a bunch of years ago when they were younger and we'd kind of update it and look at it on an annual basis. So we're not looking at it too frequently, but checking in on it occasionally um, to see the growth over time. So I think that's kind of a, a good first step. It's very, you know, low effort because, you know, if you have already have a brokerage account, you're just buying some stuff there. And then as the kids get older, you know, setting up those custodial accounts, talking about diversification. Maybe you put a couple of stocks in place. I recently did this with my kids. We bought a couple of stocks a couple of years ago and tried to research them and all that good stuff. And then with the rest of the money, we put into a mutual fund. So I let that kind of go for a year. And then the next year we said, do you want to research, research all these stocks and try to pick winners and losers? Or do we just want to buy a diversified mutual fund that you know, mirrors the market? And they, oh, let's just buy the mutual fund. So getting that diversification and the, the kind of teaching that through, you know, a long-term time period. Uh, I think also, you know, you could get kids involved and um, we've seen these conversations happen with our clients, especially in family meetings when it comes to donor advised funds. So that used to be a concept for only the ultra, ultra wealthy. They create these foundations and so forth. But now it's it's high net worth individuals are putting appreciated stock into donor advised funds. And I know we have some podcasts out there on that. Actually, Tony, mm-hmm. I think we did that one together. But having them part of that conversation of, look, I took this appreciated stock that grew for 20 years, and now this magnifies the gift. Do you guys want to be involved with that com- that decision-making process of where the gift goes, showing how money has this agency and more as a tool as opposed to something to be feared. That could be a really fun way to introduce not only charitable intent, but also the growth of stocks. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And then as the kids get older, you know, 15, 16, Get a job, earn some money. Seriously. Like, like my kids started working when they were 15, 16. We kind of cut the allowance off at that point and have them pay for a lot of their stuff. I mean, they go to the movies, they pay for their gas. It depends upon, you know, each kid's specific situations, uh, situation rather, you know, whatever sports they're heavily involved, you know, maybe that allowance continues for a period of time, or maybe you, it's a hybrid thing. You know, my kids to the part of the point where they work you know, six hours a week on the weekend to, to make money for their fun stuff. But we don't, we, we pay for the car insurance Mm -hmm. and the stuff like that. They pay for the gas. They pay for when they go to the movies, they pay for all their discretionary stuff with the money they earn. And it's good for them to live within a budget. So that's, I think the next step. What about setting up some kind of a, a Roth account once they get a job? Yeah. So we've, we've done that too. You know, when the kids hit a job, they have earned income, you have earned income, you can make a Roth IRA contribution. So we've set those up. And one of the things that we do, just like your employer matches um, what you put into your 401k account, oftentimes, you know, we match them. So, Hey, if you put in $500 of your money, we'll, we'll match your $500 to kind of get them in that rhythm of, 
Okay. You got a job, you got an employer that's matching you, making sure you're taking advantage of the stuff your employers are giving you. Just turn these small examples into real life things that when they get a job, real job and are making decent money that, that they'll understand. So you start with tokens as a toddler and you move on up to the Roth and the buying a car when you're older. Little by little, early and often, (laughs) Patrice. I mean, we're not child psychologists and we don't profess to be some expert on the best ways to talk to kids about money. We've just seen this a lot with our clients and having those conversations. And we also see what doesn't work. And when kids start getting themselves into trouble, and it seems to be in the cases where money's not talked about as much, or they haven't been given the opportunities to make take wins and losses at when the cost is very small. So yeah, let them buy the expensive bike that they don't really need with all the bells and whistles, as opposed to the, you know, $50,000 car when they're 17 years old, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, <laughs> th- those are the lessons. They get the trust from grandma yeah. and then all of a sudden they've got a Maserati and you're like, no, what, where did I go wrong? You know, but it's never too early to start and it's never too late to start. So just get having those conversations. And if you're not quite sure where to go from there, involve your advisors. I mean, we've seen this a time or two and we just got to do our best. And then the the rest is up to the kids, isn't it? It is. Absolutely. All right. How can listeners reach you? You can reach us on our website at fosterandmotley.com, or you can give us a call at 513-561-6640. There are many, many additional episodes of information and insights from the folks at Foster and Modley. So follow this podcast and you'll easily be able to find them. Share with other parents and friends too. And thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Keep in mind that rules and regulations are subject to change. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.